0: Let us pray. Loving God, we bring many names to you this morning, those that precede us, those that follow us, those that are here with us. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. And let the people say, Amen. I bet you wonder what I'm going to do with that text. It is not in the three-year cycle of the lectionary, Romans 16. It is, as Priya bravely pronounced to us, a catalog of names of people Paul knows. And I have to tell you right up front that I'm borrowing a sermon this morning, a rather well-known sermon called, When the Roll is Called Up Down Here. It was preached by the great Fred Craddock, who died in March. And I will go in and out of his sermon somewhat, And as you know, I do this shamelessly because as my preaching teacher said, don't try to say anything new because you will fail. (laughs) But as Fred said to the congregation when he gave this sermon probably about 30 years ago, he said, I hope you will not feel guilty if your heart was not all aflutter at the reading of scripture. It sounds like a list of names Paul is going through as he greets people in this church he hasn't even been to yet. But he's trying to figure it out. Fred, when he preached this sermon, recalled that a few months earlier, he had been called to the DeKalb Superior Court in Georgia to serve on the jury. There were 240 of them called. And he remembered them reading the names of all 240. It sounded sort of like a roll call, like we just heard. And they didn't do it alphabetically, so he tuned his ear to each name. There were two Bill Johnsons. One was black, and one was white, and they were both Bill Johnson. There was a Mr. Clark there, although when the clerk read the names, she said Mrs. Clark, to which he responded, here. (laughs) She said again, Mrs. Clark, here. Mrs. Clark, here. He said, "Uh, you see. I thought the letter was for me, and so I opened it, so I came here today. And they said, well, we summoned Mrs. Clark. And he said, well, you know, she doesn't have any interest in this kind of thing. (laughs) To which the clerk said, how do you know? She didn't even answer the letter. There was a man whose name was difficult to pronounce, and they tried it five or six times. His name was Zerfel Leichenstein. Fred wrote it out phonetically so he could figure it out. Mr. Leichenstein was rather upset that they couldn't say his name correctly. He said, how am I supposed to serve on a jury if you can't even pronounce my name? And the woman sitting next to Fred said, I wonder if he's Jewish? And Fred said, I don't know. It could be. Does it really matter? And she said, well, I'm German. My name is Zeller. And he said, well? Doesn't seem to matter, that was a long time ago. And she said, we could be sitting next to each other on the same jury. And he said, well, you were probably just a child when that all happened. She said, I was 10 years old. And we used to go visit my grandmother every week. She lived about four miles from Buchenwald, from the camp. And we could smell the odor in the air. It wasn't just a list they were calling off but a group, a community of names. Paul is looking at some old letters in boxes, trying to figure out what his next ministry is going to do. He's about 59 or 60 years old, and he got a late start in ministry at age 35. Lifespans were much shorter then. He figures maybe he has one more ministry left in him, and he's going to try to go to Italy and then on to Spain. And so he's writing the people in this church, people he hasn't met yet, but he has their names and correspondence. He's also probably trying to do some fundraising. This may have been a little bit of a fundraising letter so he could make this trip. So he's making sure to call out as many names as he knows. It's something special to him and not just a list. You've probably done this the same sorting through old correspondence or scrapbooks or your Christmas cards of people who you try to remember that you may forget about during the year. When we got married about 10 years ago, Robert and I decided to call out the names of everyone who came. We gathered 95 friends and family. Any of you who have planned a wedding know at some point you have to cut off the list, and it's always a hard decision. We gathered them over in the chapel at Harvard Divinity School, where I was a student at the time. And that chapel is usually set up around an oval carpet with straight back shaker style chairs. And here our family and friends came, and we decided to introduce them one by one. We had already been together about 17 years at that point, but it had become official in the state, and we thought we should stand up and be recognized. We were a little skeptical about getting involved with something with the state that had already been going well on its own. Thank you very much. (laughs) But it was important to call out these names. Peter Gomes, who was my academic advisor and the celebrated preacher over at Harvard, agreed to preach and to host the reception, and he was a little more stodgy liturgically and thought I had kind of gone off the deep end in trying to do this. But Robert and I stood at opposite ends of the oval, and we called out the names one by one of the people who were new in our lives, people I had gone to school with and studied with, people he had met in a writing group in New York, and we moved in a little closer, people we had worked with in different settings, in churches and at the Perkins School. And then a little bit closer, people we had grown up with. My second mother, Barbara, who used to meet me after kindergarten when my mother was busy and feed me peanut butter sandwiches and watch Sesame Street. His village aunts and uncles, the neighbors that they had out in the western suburbs, Paul and Kathy, and their daughter, Sarah, who was his best friend, whom he described in Lumin- as luminous who does not like to be described as luminous to a group of people. And then we moved in a little bit closer to our family, our closest confidants. We recognized them, had them stand, and then after we said their names and their relationship, we said, thank you for being here. My friend Dodie, who was in her 90s at that time. My mother, who struggled with my sexuality and with even being there, but who came anyway. Robert's parents who had been supportive are pastors and preachers. And people ended up saying it was the most meaningful part of the ceremony, more meaningful than the vows. And I think it's because they saw the connections being tied across the circle of names they had heard about, and now they knew what the relationships were. This web of people who had supported us as a marriage even before the state decided to do it, and much longer before the federal government would do so. You can see in Paul's letter a little sociological profile of the church, Prisca and Aquila, some people he made tents with at one point, husband and wife. You can see Eponatus, the first convert in Asia, an old man. You can see Andronicus and Junia, brothers. You can see Herodian who from the sound of his name was probably also Jewish, like Paul, but starting out in this new church. Tryphena and Tryphosa, two sisters. Rufus and his mother, a brother and sister, Nereus and his sister. It's a kind of hodgepodge group of people who were coming together trying to figure out what it means to be a community of faith. Not exactly what you would call a nuclear family, but scattered people coming together, Jews and Gentiles, Greeks and Romans. You can start to imagine what their lives were like as Paul says, Prisca and Aquila, who risked their necks for my life. There's a story there. Or Junia and Andronicus, who were in prison with me. We wondered when we'd get out, and we sang songs together. Mary, who was a great worker in the Lord. Mary, who was always there to clean up after everyone who had gone, who'd put the chairs and the coffee pots away and the hymnals, Paul would say, Mary, you can go on home. And she'd say, no, it's okay, I can manage. And he'd say, well, you're tired too. And she said, well, you've got to ride a donkey across to Asia tomorrow, so I'll let you go and stay here. Or Rufus, who seemed a little goofy to a lot of people until you sat down and talked with him, heard a little bit of his story. His mother, who Paul says was like a mother to him also. You can imagine her as a large woman in an apron with her hair tied up in a bun, always something simmering on the stove or baking in the oven. If Paul ever stayed with them, she'd make sure he'd have breakfast in the morning. Well, I've got to go on my way. I'll need to skip breakfast. No, I know you're an apostle, but you've got to eat your breakfast. (laughs) Or Tryphena and Tryphosa, those sisters who used to sit right over there always were the same color, very quiet, but you knew there was a lot going on underneath. They cared for each other, even into death. You see, it's not just a catalog or a list of names. It's a community of relationships. You will see on the plaques around this church the names of people who fought and died in service of this country, people who were part of the three communities that made up the United Parish. You will see over here some names that you might not have thought were in Brookline during World War I, names like Henry Wong Weed. You'll see some women's names, and you wonder if they were nurses cl- close to the front lines, the people who served. You may remember about 30 years, 35 years ago, when this horrible disease began to take hold of the nation, affecting all sorts of people. And they finally called it AIDS. At first, they wanted to blame gay people. They wanted to blame Haitian people. They wanted to blame intravenous drug users. But they had trouble getting to pay attention to it. And then this activist in San Francisco had this idea. After he realized that 1,000 people had died of it, and the government and science were doing very little about it, he asked people in the parade that year to write down the names of people they had lost. And they pasted them on the side of the federal building in San Francisco, and it looked like a quilt. And it gave them my idea to start making a bigger quilt. And so anyone who had lost someone was invited to make a quilt three by six feet to decorate it however you wanted with the name of someone you loved so that that quilt would show something about their lives. The first time they displayed it on the Washington Mall, it took up more space than a football field. All these names spread out. It's grown to 40,000 names, and yet it is one of the most beautiful acts of civil disobedience because it got people to wake up, to pay attention, to start developing drugs and services and ways of helping people to realize that a virus has no morals. It wasn't just a list of names on the side of a building. I invite you to think about creating your own list, the list of people who are important to you, who help you through life. You can write on it as Fred suggested, the remembrance of you is a blessing to me. But take your list, write them down because it's not just a list to you. In that sermon preached long ago, Fred remembered that when he was a student pastor before he was married, he went to serve a church down in rural Tennessee. And they had a tradition there that they would hold their baptisms out in the nearby lake. So Fred was asked the first time to go out there and stand on a sandbar and have the people come to them and do the baptisms. And after they were over, there was a little changing room created with some blankets on some ropes tied between trees. And Fred was the last one as the pastor to go and change. And then people gathered by a fire and warmed themselves from the chill of the lake. And after they had all gathered, there was a man named Percy, or or rather, uh, get the name right, Glenn Hickey. He was always Glenn, who would say the next part of the ritual. He would introduce all the new baptizans, all the new members of the church, say something about their background, and then people in the church community would stand up and say, my name is and if you ever need someone to help mow your lawn, you can call on me. Another person, my name is, and if you ever need someone to sit sit with the sick in the hospital, you can call on me. My name is, and if you ever need help buying a box springs and mattress, I can go with you to the store. My name is, and if you ever need a ride to church, you can call on me. Around and around the circle they went, They'd then have a little square dance, and then they'd call it an end. And Percy, who was a man in bib overalls, would kick the sand on the fire and let everyone know it was time to go home. And the first time Fred saw this, he was just standing still in wonder at this community, what they called church. And Percy came over to him and said, Fred, folks, don't ever get any closer than this. Each of us has brought a name this morning, a name that was given to us. I invite you to put your name tag on as we go downstairs. I invite you to look around the room. You'll see back there about Charles and Sarah, who served this church. Daniel, whom the clock, which is not keeping time right now, is put in memory of. Jacob, who served on the Prudential Committee of the Harvard Church for 23 years. If I had been the pastor, I would have wanted to get in right with him. It said he, gave, he was not slothful in business, but was fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You can read about Eugene and Mary, who died in 1925, or over here about Matthew and Frank, a father and son who served as sextons of this church for 70 years, including even when this church burned to the ground and nothing was left but the steeple. You'll see a plaque back there about how this congregation met in Temple Olive Shalom down the street in the early 30s, hosted by our Jewish neighbors who had been here longer than we had. You can read on these hymn plaques about Alan and Richard who were born in the 20s but died during World War II. And then you can look on your order of worship and see my attempt to make a cloud of names in a heart. If your name is not there, I apologize. It's a failure of the software or of my software. But we tried to get everyone there. It's important that you write your name there if you're a first-time visitor or if your name didn't make it in because it matters that you are here, that we know your name and you know our names. And when we gather downstairs, it looks a little bit what I think the kingdom of heaven might look like or what we can even make it look like here among us. That there's a big banner that when you bring your list of names, it will say, Welcome Home. Amen. Amen.